As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show and our latest foray into the listener questions mailbag. Today, we're looking at NWSL Academies. We're nominating soccer's most iconic imagery and we're comparing Pep's Man City to Hungary in the 1950s. Jonathan Wilson, eat your heart out. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who is the only TSS host who's played a game at Audi Field, Taylor Rockwell. Howdy. Hello. Yes, I played in the congressional game last night, which was... Cool, although when I showed up, uh, I guess I was there to, to make up the numbers because uh, they don't usually go for podcasters. They usually go for congresspeople and ex-professionals. But I was there, and I was given the red team bag, which was not my favorite thing. I didn't feel like sh- like throwing a protest uh, upon arrival. But yes, other than that, an amazing night, including Aleko Eskandarian scoring a goal that if anyone had gotten in front of would have definitely sent them into the back of the net. I've never seen a person hit the ball uh, that hard. Josh Norman playing goal was also uh, pretty amazing, and he did a oh, very wow. good job. For a person who's never played soccer before, he made some good saves. That was pretty cool, too. Former Panther. I like that very much. Um, Taylor, you say I was at the congressional match. Like, we're supposed to know what that is? Yes, please yeah. explain in great detail, <laughs> yeah, Taylor, I, immediately. I didn't, know, I didn't know it existed either. Uh, Christian Polanco and uh, Jillian Sakovitz were doing the emceeing last night, so Christian messaged and asked if I had any interest. Uh, they needed some extra players. So I said, sure. Uh, but it's basically the, I think it's like a companion to the congressional baseball game. So you get uh, congresspeople from both sides of the aisle uh, playing for one team or the other. And then ex-professionals, a lot of uh, Paralympic players as well, rounding up the squads. And that was, I think, the coolest part of that because it was by the U.S. Soccer Foundation, which is the charitable arm of U.S. soccer. Mm. And talking to a lot of different Paralympians last night or Paralympic athletes, uh, I think that was maybe my favorite thing was learning how much good U.S. soccer does on that front. We spend so much time, I spend so much time criticizing U.S. soccer, but to learn how much funding goes into the different uh, the different teams, there's a cerebral palsy team, there's a wheelchair team. Uh, like, so I think just learning how much U.S. soccer is doing on that front, uh, by far the leading nation doing work on that front, w- was really amazing. And playing with some of those athletes was equally gratifying. 
And are you are you now president? Is this how you yes, guys do it? Yes, that is how that works. Now? Right. Okay. <laughs> well, yes. um, was the QAnon shaman there? Yeah. <laughs> the, the, I will say uh, away from the political side of things because that was not my favorite thing. I kept going up to people and being like, hey, I'm not this color. And they were like, uh, to be fair, all of the athletes were sort of like, ah, it's a charity game. It doesn't matter. But then it definitely did feel like the different uh, Congress people were taking it very seriously. And there were a lot of political jokes along the way. So, Taylor, this was on Tuesday evening. How did you yeah. get back from protesting outside the Miami courthouse to, in time to make it to D.C.? <laughs> Well, you know, sometimes you got to be in multiple places at one time, and it was a okay. lot of driving. I spent a lot of time on 95 yesterday, but I made it all work. Oh, good. Joe has a dig, too. Go ahead, Joe. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't have a dig. I've, I've got a question. So Christian Polanco tweeted a picture uh -huh. of you and him after the game. Yes. Um, very much looked like you had just played four hours of soccer, and he had not. Um, but he, I believe he said you got an assist, Taylor. Is that true? And, and who was it to tell us about the play? Uh, it was to Amir, who used to play for DC and a few other MLS teams. He had a hat trick. He had a perfect hat trick on the evening, which Ooh. is impressive uh but yes it was he played the ball to me i played it back to him he shot from about 12 yards out and scored it was pretty great um i had a, a 30 yard back heel joe i i, I know you on would, brand you be, thank you it was on brand and it, it was to centino quaranta who then like waited for it to get to him and i had this like really fun <laughs> moment of like i'm going to give away a back heel that's going to lead to a counterattack goal and i'm going to look like a jackass but it got to him and that was maybe the crowning achievement of the evening for me uh aside from playing with a bunch of ex-professionals who all, you know, just kept being like, oh, man, I'm so out of shape. I can barely even run anymore. And then proceeded to run, like, 500-yard sprints without any problem. Uh, and my other favorite moment was Chris Pontius, who was equally From confused Jackass? to be on, on the red team. Yes, the Jackass Chris Pontius, <laughs> not the D.C. United U.S. M&T player. Um, he was equally confused to be on the red team, but we were standing next to each other because they did the – they brought both teams out and um, did a whole processional and everything – and uh, the the blue team got a lot of applause from the crowd. The red team, a lot, lot of crickets from the crowd. And he just kind of mm. leaned over and was like, man, the uh, the Republicans not very popular in D.C., huh? And I was like, no, you think? You think? No, that was that was not uh, the, the raucous atmosphere I think they were hoping for. Well, Taylor, congrats. Your red team won that congressional oh, soccer match. You got the assist, uh, literally helping Republicans achieve their goals. Congratulations, <laughs> Taylor, for that I, one. They were they, one of them was taking the cup, the gigantic cup, to uh, to celebrate on the House floor, and man, did a part of me <laughs> die when he was bragging about celebrating on the House floor the next day. Wow, wow. Well, your most important contribution in DC since uh, January six, right, Taylor? You, you were there with the, with the chairman. Oh, we'll, we'll stop now. We'll, we'll carry on. We'll carry on. No, Listen, I like I like Charlie and D. I just provided all of the different furs for the various costumes. That was nice. my COVID contribution. Yes, excellent, excellent. Uh, let's introduce the rest of the gang. Join us as you've heard his voice. It's Fox Sports' best soccer writer, Joe Lowry. Hello, congrats on the new gig. Oh, yeah. For, for people who don't know, I, I don't work for Fox Sports. Now, I did write an article for MLSsoccer.com this past week. Sorry, I'm just, I just still can't get over how good all that, that talk was. Taylor, I'm so glad you went and did that. And that sounds like a really cool experience, even with <laughs> I, some hiccups along the way for you I, and your, I your personal outlook express, on life. I cannot express to you how dismayed I was. Because I signed in with Fernando Fiore, uh, who came with Christian Polanco. I, I, I'm not trying to uh, claim any familiarity, but we were chatting and then they're like, Fernando, you're on the blue team. And then they're like, and you're on the red team. I was like, uh, does that mean what I think but it they, means? And they're like, it they does. just look at you or like, how yeah, did exactly. they decide I know, that? that's what I, that's what I kept saying was like, I don't need this. This isn't going to help. Please, please, no. 
Yeah. Uh, wow. So there's so much good stuff there. I'm, I'm guessing we could have done a full four weeks of Patreon content on just yeah. Taylor's evening yesterday. Uh, but yeah, so I wrote an article for MLSsoccer.com about MLS midseason superlatives, handing out awards, both good and bad, to, to teams and players and coaches and stuff. And then Fox just put out a tweet with like the entire article, including the lead, which I did a – it wasn't even like that good of a lead. I did the like basically the Bon Jovi reference to, to living on a prayer with the fact that we're halfway through the MLS season. Like it wasn't that good. And they just ripped the lead for their tweet copy as well and then just screenshotted like their graphic, which pulled straight from the article. And then Tom Boger – I didn't even know that this had happened because I don't think I follow Fox or any of their accounts on social media. And Tom Boger <laughs> texts in a chat and says like, yo, what, what's going on here? And then he basically just bullied them into deleting the tweet. Um, they did reach out and apologize afterwards, and I, I didn't really care a whole lot to begin with. It wasn't that big they, of a deal. But that was that was nice of them, and, and it was all fine. They well, actually was, meant to tweet out the unsealed indictment and just got their tabs mixed up, Joe. Whoops, Ooh, we've tweeted out the wrong one. article Don't there. Don't know how that happens. <laughs> Uh, is anyone else surprised that Joe went with a Bon Jovi reference? Joe, explain yourself. Well, I've, so I've got some 80s music culture in from my family that sort of has like mm. a, been absorbed into my body by osmosis. I also need to like show that I do have some pop culture knowledge, even if it's from like four decades ago. So you ago. went for Bon Jovi. Be- because <laughs> to to prove because <laughs> we all know we all know what's coming at the end of this show, guys. And I'm going to look like a fool and I'm ready for it. And let's make it happen. Uh, oh. jo- jo- Joe, Joe was about to throw out like I needed some pop culture references. So I went with Vivaldi. Like, all right, all right, Grandpa. All right, Grandpa. Also, but if, if Joe spins his camera around, he does have a gigantic Bon Jovi poster on the wall. He's yeah. right. He's doing a good job of not showing it to us right now. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just trying to relate to my elders on this show. That's all it is. That's all I've ever been trying to do. Joe, I'm just picturing Joe going on Google and going, human popular culture. And he's got like, Bon Jovi, Pac-Man video games. It's one, all coming up for Joe. One human alcoholic beverage for me, please. <laughs> all right, rounding out our pack today, we've got a man who longs for the sweet breeze of an air conditioner. It's sweaty oh. Graham Ruthven. Hello, Graham. I'm melting, Ryan. Please, please save me. I heard, I heard Joe yesterday saying he's not a beach person, and generally I am the same. But today I am a, I am a beach person. It's sort of a riff on that Gianni Infantino speech. Today I feel beach person. Yeah, give, give me beach today. Graham is as red as Ryan's shirt right now, and I guess my shirt last night. Graham, you, you look like you are... Uh, Temperate is what I'm going to say. I think we should make this introduction take even longer. I was going to say this recording session long, goes long as ever. we can. Yeah. It's swampy, is all I'll say, <laughs> where I am. Yeah, no, no air conditioning in most of Europe, listeners, just for context. Whereas Taylor is sitting there, he's so chilly with his lovely air conditioning, he's actually lit all of his tiki torches right now. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's a quiet contrast between the TSS studios at the moment. Anyway, we should get to our listener questions. Uh, Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show if you want to have more of this fun and games. Plenty going on there and access to our Discord as well, where all the cool people are hanging out. In the meantime... Cooper Hayes has a question for us, guys. If you could pick one current USMNT player to end their career with their hometown MLS team, who would it be? And for dual nationals, it can be wherever they were born or the familial connection that they have to the States. So that means, Graham, no G.A. Rayner going back to his hometown of Sunderland, unfortunately, for (laughs) this question uh, so Graham. i didn't i didn't know that before i researched for the, this question and i just thought i would check where Giorena Giorena was born i mean 
I, I wasn't aware he was born in Sunderland. Of course, Claudio played for Sunderland, right? So I guess that Do you makes... just tune out when Ryan talks? Yeah, <laughs> Ryan I... brings that up like every four shows. He brings, so he brings up that Reyna was born in England. I didn't uh, know it was Sunderland, though. Mm. So yeah, Sunderland are, are not on my list. I wouldn't do that to, to poor Gio. Um, I've gone for Timothy Weir. So I'm a big Timothy Weir fan. I, I, I like him as a player and as a person. He's been so consistent for the US over the last cycle. So important to the national team. But he's been playing as like a fullback or a wingback for Leo this season. So let's get him to a team where he can be a winger again, where he, where he can be a star as an attacker. And obviously his hometown is New York. He was born there. So let's get him to not where a lot of people might guess I would, I would go with NYCFC here. I'm going to put him at the Red Bulls, right? So yes, I know New Jersey... But New York is in the name, so that makes it official, right? So anyway, sure. moving past that, here's my logic. The Red Bulls need a star. They need someone to kickstart a new era for that franchise. They also need someone on the right side of their attack where they're pretty light. And I actually think the Red Bull style would suit Weir pretty well. And also the Red Bulls have an actual soccer pitch, whereas, you know, I can't I can't wish Yankee Stadium on anyone I like. And I like Timothy Weir. So yeah, let's get him to the Red Bulls. Very nice. Uh, Joe, any nominations for this question? Graham, I like that a lot. I'm down for the, the Tim Weah in New York experience, even if that New York is New Jersey. Um, so <laughs> I, I want to fast forward us all to 2028. And Ooh. it's 2028, and Phoenix finally has an MLS team. And we're getting the boys back in town, folks. That's what's happening here. So they're going to end their careers with Phoenix, whatever it's going to be called in Major League Soccer. Richie Ledesma is from Phoenix. Brooks Lennon is from Phoenix, and Bryce Duke is from the Phoenix area. Bryce Duke has never played for the U.S. men's national team, and he he might not ever play for the U.S. men's national team. But in this reality, he's turned into one of the best number eights in MLS, and Ledesma is one of the best number tens, and Brooks Lennon is still good at doing things with his right foot. So I want those three in Phoenix's inaugural MLS roster. Let's get the boys back in town. I also, I have a couple of other ones. That's, that's more of like just me being a Phoenix home person. I want to get... Tim Ream and Josh Sargent to St. Louis, a club that actually, a, t a city that actually has an MLS team. I think with those two, you can just get a lot of of the feeling, even as an outsider. I've never even been to St. Louis. I feel like I've been inundated with all of this talk about the history of soccer there and the connection that the people seem to have to the game, and that's been borne out a lot in the crowds that we've seen and the at St. Louis City games. Yeah, all the cat food as well. Like you know, you can see it all throughout each and every one of those things, from Purina to the to the actual pitch, and. I think it would be cool to see Tim Ream end his career with, with St. Louis, which could actually happen very, very soon. Not that that's likely, but in terms of Tim Ream's age, he is old. And so that, that does make sense. And then Sargent, I think would be fun as well. That's probably down the road a little bit more, but I, I would quite like to see that as well. Uh, nice. My question for Ryan is how many of the players that Joe said in his people playing for Phoenix, did you know existed? Yes. <laughs> well done. Well done. <laughs> If you should know, uh, Ryan, like, you should know Brooks Lennon. Surely you scored on yeah, Charlotte yeah, of course. a couple yeah, times. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. If Joe had thrown in a fourth name that was completely made up, I feel like Ryan would have yes-anded it out of just like, yeah, sure, that sounds like it might be a person who plays somewhere mm -hmm. in, in the Netherlands and is now going back to Phoenix. Why not? That famous Arizonian person you just mentioned, Joe, yes. <laughs> yeah, baby. Yes. Yeah, baby. Uh, I am going with NYCFC, and I'm going with Serginho Dest. I think that's... That's a combination we need. I think he could play in defense. I think he could play up top. His dad is uh, uh, Surinamese American, uh, but I believe uh, lived in Brooklyn, and that's where he got the uh, American citizenship from, born in, in Suriname, drafted into the Army, uh, and then after that, uh, continue, continued with the career, 
uh, stationed in Germany. That's where he met uh, Serginho Dest's Dutch mother. But his dad, uh, Brooklyn, so I'm going with NYCFC, even though they are Bronx, I believe. Uh, but still, Dest. One of the five boroughs in the great city oh, yes. of New York City. <laughs> Joe, Joe learned this the other day. There we go. Joe's jo- jo- going to be on Journey Bur- of Exploration on Tuesday. That's right. That's right. Joe's going to be on Borough Watch from now on, and I'm really excited about it. <laughs> Uh, but D- Dest, I feel like, could play any position that, that is needed uh, because he would certainly end up being an attacker, I think, in MLS, but could be a defender. But I also think the opportunity for him in all of his sort of reserved sort of awkwardness uh, to be interviewed by the Cooligans, that would be terrific. I think he would probably open up an art gallery at some point, and I would enjoy seeing Serginho Dest's art on display. Uh, so I just think that would be that would be a good combination for a number of different reasons. Let's get Dest to New York. And also playing time. Why not? Yeah, that would be good. Uh, by yeah. the way, Taylor, we are inferring here that MLS is a retirement league by the nature of this very question, aren't we? Is that problematic? Uh, no, I mean, I don't think it necessarily has to be retirement league, but I think the idea would be uh, we don't want to pull over somebody in their prime necessarily. I mean, if that were the question, I think we could have answered that one too. But I think it's it's the players that feel like it, it would be a nice symbolic ending. I, I was looking at Tim Ream as well, Joe, and I think the Josh Sargent one is perfect for that exact reason of like St. Louis seems to be uh, crazy for soccer has been crazy for soccer now they have a club so to get a player who sort of has that that name recognition coming in and being yeah. a homegrown scoring goals I think would be a pretty exciting moment so I like that idea uh, when it comes to the question but I really like it for the dual nationals who I think haven't really had the opportunity to truly live in the United States and, and sort of be a part of it Jermaine Jones was talking about that yesterday on I think Alexi Lalas's show about uh, the decision he made to play for the U.S. but then never really regretting it and always feeling accepted and feeling like a part of the country and how much it's become a part of his life. And I would like other dual nationals to get that same opportunity. So Dest to New York, let's make it happen. Wonderful stuff. All right, thank you very much, Cooper, for that question. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, a little bit more USMNT back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between, but no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. 
Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our listener questions. Raymond Holt has been in touch. Raymond Holt, the second best Holt in popular fiction behind Steve, of course. Uh, if, you could, uh, if you could will one summer transfer into existence to benefit the USMNT and or your respective national team, thank you for the inclusion, what would it be, asks Raymond Holt. Uh, I'm guessing, Joe, we're maybe talking about your Adamses, your Aronsonses, your Pulisixes. In this kind of question, no? So yeah. I thought about all of those players and ultimately decided against... Actually, I do a Pulisic. Sorry, I take that back. I do a Pulisic. He was an add-on to one of my other deals that I'm trying to orchestrate this summer. I thought about Adams and Aronson. I'm, I'm not sure that this Make is... Make up a name. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, Ryan, you don't know? You don't know, uh, you don't know this guy? I can't believe it. Um, I, I thought Brayton about Carlisle. Adams... There we go. <laughs> I thought about Adams and Aronson from, from Leeds, but... I, I don't know for sure, but I'm leaning towards the idea that I'm just not really sure how much it matters if those players move or not. Like, I'm not feeling particularly afraid of Tyler Adams, like, losing his Tyler Adamsness in the championship, even if it's not, obviously, the level that he, he could be playing at. I think he could still retain a lot of the quality, and Aronson just needs time. So I'm not really bothered about what happens with him too much, to be honest. So the, the ones that I went with, I want Yunus Musa to make a move out of Valencia. I'm tired of him getting stuck out on the right wing. Let's be done with that and let's get him some stability. Taylor loves the right wing. I'm not 100% sure (laughs) that West Ham is the spot for him, but it has been reported as as Musa being a potential Declan Rice replacement. And I'm kind of down for that. Like, I'm not absolutely in love with it, but I I am in love with the idea of Yunus Musa playing as a central midfielder with some regularity for a, a... serviceable Premier League team. West Ham weren't great last year. They didn't keep a ton of the ball. They weren't a, a particularly good team, but they were fine, and they were you know enough clear of relegation by the end of the season. At just 20 years old, Musa doesn't have to make his big move now, and I don't, I don't really think he should. I'm not really sure that's on the table for him, but I think he could be one move away from a move to a, a legitimate Champions League club in, in a big league in Europe, and I think West Ham could be the pivot that gets him there. The other one quickly that I'll mention is Balogun and Pulisic together, to AC Milan. That's that's been reported for both of them mm. as a potential destination. I don't know how much truth there is to those rumors. I still haven't gotten around to listening to the Graham and Taylor Soccer 101 transfer episode. How to tell if it's real or fake. So I will get there and I'll come back and tell you for sure whether these are real or fake rumors. But 
I mean, Zlatan's gone. Giroud is 36. Rafael Leao is going to be sold. We saw how much Milan needed attacking talent and, and reinforcements in the Champions League semifinals against Inter. We've seen it other times this year as well. I, I think that could be a really good spot to get Balogun up a level out of Liga. He's not going to be back at, in, in Liga for next season and to get Pulisic just out of Chelsea into a decent team. I, I'm on board with that. Hmm. Great picks. I really like the Musa one as well, Joe. Is it is my memory tricking me? Has he been linked with West Ham before? I feel like he has. I, I think so in, in Arsenal and I think Liverpool. I mean, Liverpool has been linked to all three of the MMA trio for the US. Like I think Musa, because he spent time in England and through the Arsenal youth setup, like he's he's been linked because English people know who he is and that's helpful when you're making up tabloid rumors. So yeah, yeah I think you're right, Ryan. I think yesterday, was it Romano or someone else? There was there was a credible report yesterday that There's Chelsea no had had a, a, a 37 million euro bid turned down from Musa in January. Which felt which felt like a lot. Like Valencia turned that down. Yeah, I mean, this is a good player, but they are they are in difficult financial position right now. Valencia. So yeah, there's been rumors about him for a long time, and it wouldn't surprise me to see him in the Premier League this summer. Yep. All right, uh, Graham, would you like to pick up the mantle on this question? Brandon Aronson to Celtic is where I'm going. So Brandon Brandon Aronson last season actually did play quite a lot of football for Leeds United I think he made 31 Premier League appearances so he is getting the the game time but it feels like his possession his game in possession needs a bit of development this would have been perfect if Postacoglu was still at Celtic obviously Postacoglu has now gone to Spurs but it seems like Bre- uh, Brendan Rodgers is going to be at Celtic so we can unite the two Brendans together in Glasgow and at Celtic he's going to see plenty of the ball it's not uncommon for Celtic and Scottish Premiership matches to have like 80% of possession in games so he's going to be faced with breaking down low defensive blocks but the quality is still low enough that Aronson is going to be able to develop he's going to be able to be a dominant figure for a Celtic team that will be favourites for the title and then he'll also have the chance to test himself in the Champions League Celtic will be in the Champions League group stage next season even if they fall down into the Europa League that would be a good platform I think for Brandon Brandon Aronson so at this point I'm not really sure that he needs more game time per se just a a, maybe a different experience where he can learn some more possession-y sort of stuff the Tim Weah path Graham's all about Tim Weah today I I like that I know I just said I wasn't too bothered if Aronson leaves but if he's gonna make a move I think it should be to a, a good club in a lower league where he can develop some in-possession stuff, which he's just never had a chance to do between the Union, Salzburg, and Leeds. Like, all of those teams are just press, 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 direct, direct, and it it hasn't really helped him turn into a well-rounded soccer player. Celtic could help him do that if he's going to go. I think that that's a that's a good shout, Graham. Excellent. Tater, which mm-hmm. uh, summer transfer are you willing into existence for this question? Uh, for my respective uh, national team and also for my club team. I've got two. I'm... I'm Sort of serious that I would take Eunice Moose to Manchester United. I've long said Tyler Adams would be a very good player for them. I think Joe has talked me out of uh, that move from a ball retention, progressive passing standpoint. I think that is what they've been missing. But the Moose maneuver is a thing we talk about often, his ability to kind of turn under pressure and carry the ball forward 30 and 40 yards. Uh, I think he would be good for them in that way, but I also think it would be good for him as a developmental stage. I think Eric Ten Hag now having much more I think clarity on that roster. I think he could come in Musa and be a young player who doesn't always start, doesn't always get consistent minutes, but I think develops into the player that they need long-term or longer term. So I like Eunice Musa going to Manchester United. And then I'm trying not to buy fully into the hype here. Um, 
we'll see what happens after he scores two hat tricks in the Nations League games. But uh, this is largely inspired by Michele's tweet, our friend Michele's tweet about uh, Florin Balogun and about how every single player in camp has mentioned to him that Ballo, which is, I guess, what he wants to be called, uh, is the real deal and is is like genuinely a difference maker for this team. And if he comes in and scores some goals, I am throwing all rational uh, reality checks out the window. I'm going all in, and I'm saying Balogun to Manchester United. We need a number nine. Balogun, if he's going to score goals and be the truth, let's get him there and see what could happen. It's all it's all ridiculous fantasy, but why not? Balogun just, and Musa to Manchester United. I just can't get over Balogun wanting to be called Ballo when Flo is like just sitting there right on the table. I don't... I know. Anybody have strong feelings on that? Because I'm, I'm strongly against Ballo over Flo. I'm it sorry. feels too close to Balotelli for me. He's a big Balotelli fan, yeah. 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 Maybe we should also get Wes McKenney to Manchester United to continue the golf lessons that he's been given. Uh, <laughs> Ballo. Is there is there an English nickname thing with with two syllables like Wayne Rooney being Waza? There's other ones along those lines. It feels Gaza. like it's always a what's that? Gaza? Gaza. Yeah, yeah. I feel like there's two syllables is what you all prefer. So yeah. maybe that's the Ballo aspect of it. And or even just put a Y on the end. Yeah, exactly. Z. Even if you've got one uh, one syllable name like Smith, you're Smithy. So yeah, it tends to be the two syllables. You're right. It's like ending a dog's name in a vowel. It's quite common. Ryan, did you ever get a nickname, or did you? Just... Well, that's that's a training Raza. thing. Apparently, you're supposed to. But yeah, we, were you Raza? <laughs> what were you? And yeah. you're now. By the way, you're now Raza. So that's happening. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's exactly that. So exactly that. Uh, Taylor, a, a Raza, question. On, a question on your on your yeah. selections. Going from Val Veghorst to Florian Balogun, how do you think the Man United contingent would take that? Uh, I mean, I think I think. Balogun, if he can justify any level of the hype, would probably be an upgrade. Man, did I talk myself into Valt Veghorst being a smart signing end. Uh, <laughs> so the Mayonnaise. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think at the time, we, we talked about very valid reasons for why you would sign yeah. Veghorst. Like, you always had to view that signing through the prism of he's not the number one striker for next season, right? Like, that was a short-term thing to help stem the tide. Like, I, yeah. I don't know. It didn't work great, and Manchester United didn't perform exceptionally well by and large through the second half of the season. But I don't I don't think we need to revise history and us saying that that was a fantastic move. Also with Balogun, I love Balogun. I think I've made that very, very clear. I think he is an exceptional player and I, I think he's already shown that. I don't think he needs to do it in camp, although like he he does still, but that's not new information. I, I just think Taylor I, don't you think I mean I, I guess maybe maybe you're so excited about him now. I just feel like Manchester United at this point should be going for and Osiman should be going for someone of that oh, yeah. stature. And Balogun just still hasn't, he's done a lot, but he hasn't quite done that yet. I don't know. Oh, yeah. No, no, I, I think that's totally true. I'm just anticipating him uh, scoring a goal against Mexico and then me throwing all rational Down. analysis Down out the window. Uh, but I, I also think we shouldn't do that. I think even if he does score, I think it's worth looking at how he scored and other movements in the game. So, no, Joe, I think your point is valid. I do think it's going to be really interesting just the overall pursuit of a number nine for a number of different clubs, because it felt to me yesterday like Harry Kane to Real Madrid was going to happen, that because the timelines had gotten messed up when it came to them pursuing Holland and Mbappe, that Harry Kane uh, to Real Madrid was going to happen, which I think meant Victor Osimhen was most likely to go to Bayern Munich in my mind. And then suddenly PSG just throwing chaos into the chaos by uh, the Mbappe situation where he is not going to play past yeah. next season for them. He's been scrolling through Howland's Instagram is what's happened there. Yeah, <laughs> it does feel that way. So now suddenly I think there's there's a lot more of an opening for number nines to move in a different way than I thought they might. Uh, but I, I think it's basically, it seems like Manchester United aren't 
at the top of people's lists mm. of the available world-class number nines uh, unless they throw an extra large amount of money at them. But I think Harry Kane's going to be tough for them to get. I don't think Daniel Levy wants to sell within the league. If Bayern Munich come in for Victor Osimhen, I think it's hard for a number nine to turn down a, like a pretty much guarantee of winning some level of silverware and going far in the Champions League every year. So I, I think that's where I sort of look at Manchester United and think they'll probably have to find value or go to like the third choice on their list. Uh, and I'm fine with that because I would much rather them find value and roll the dice and develop a player than spend $150 million for a player who might have a season or two that works well and then kind of falls off the rails. I'm now envisaging the social media rage from Manchester United fans when a report emerges that my United are close to signing a league gun striker who had a very good season last year and everyone going, Mbappe, Mbappe, Mbappe. It's yeah. Fuller and Balogun. <laughs> hey, there you go. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah, good and stuff. as we all know, league on strikers always work really well in the Premier League, and there's no example of maybe that not working out and then them moving right back to the French League. Yeah, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Terry Henry did all right, I seem to remember. There's a good precedent. Although Did via... he move from Monaco no. or Juve? He moved from Juve, but he was, yeah. oh, you want to give me League on striker? Raymond Holt, thank you very much for the question there. <laughs> By the way, Taylor, my, Good pivot, nick- Raza. my nickname at school was actually, uh, <laughs> it was it was Boozer. Um, Boozer? <laughs> Boozer. Wow. Um, would, you, would you like to share why yeah, that was the yeah. case? It's kind of weird. It's not for the alcohol reasons. It's because Bailey got shortened to booze, and then the two-syllable rule just became boozer. Wait, yeah. so oh yes, Bailey, Bailey got shortened yeah, to booze. Bailey, that that is actual shortening Bailey of that. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. There was yeah. there was at our at our school <laughs> like names just got like ood like Julian was Jules and that kind of thing. It all just got. That, I don't I don't understand why it happened, but it happened. There you go, boozer. <laughs> this is what happens when you live on a tiny island and you don't have, allow for creative expression. You all just come up with boozer. Yeah, good stuff. Good exactly, stuff. exactly, exactly. Thank you very much, Raymond. We go to Daniel Martini now. What is the current status and future outlook for NWSL academies? When I look at the US youth women's national team rosters, there are very few NWSL Academy players. Are NWSL Academies just years behind MLS Academies? Is NWSL going to make Academies a priority? With less professional opportunities and a strong NCAA, are Academies even viable? Joe, we come to you for this one, sir. All right, so we got Daniel's stream of consciousness on this question. There's a lot of good questions. There's just a lot of questions. And so, Daniel, we're I said a lot of acronyms best. there, I feel, as well. I hope <laughs> I didn't mess any up. Lots of letters. You did great. Uh, Raza Boozer, you did a great job. Um, so, First, I'm going to try to answer as many of these as I can. The last question is, are academies even viable? And the answer to that, I'm, I'm pretty confident, is yes. Tons of them exist already for, for girls soccer around the United States. The thing that's still missing, in some places at least, is the link between those youth academies and the pro game, which I think is really what Daniel's talking about. But there are, there are academies all over the U.S. that are just not affiliated with professional soccer teams. Everybody, well, Taylor and I at least could drive 10 minutes from probably where we live and find one, right? So those things do exist. The challenge is the link. For a long time, the NCAA has provided that link. The college game has provided the link from youth soccer to the professional game, or or it's been the end of the line for a lot of women's soccer players in the United States. I think that will continue to be the case for a while, but it will not be the only thing providing that link. And that, I think, is where we get into what Daniel's really asking about is the world of NWSL academies and academies that that transition directly into professional teams like we see across the men's game, really all over the world. We certainly see in Major League Soccer. Some NWSL teams do have academies, and this was really hard to research on online. So I'd be curious to get at some point, maybe on this show, someone who covers the NWSL in, in more detail really than we are able to. 
But from what I could find, the NWSL Academy system is still very much finding its way. So some teams do have them. The North Carolina Courage and, and Louisville Racing Louisville both have like a full pyramid. I think they have youth academy teams. They have a U23 team uh, in, in the USLW. And then they have an NWSL team. So in, in the current top flight league in, in the United States on the women's side. It looks to me like the Portland Thorns and OL Reign and the Houston Dash all have academies as well. There are potentially others that I've missed, and this is where I qualify a lot of stuff. It's also possible that some of these clubs have just taken over other youth clubs and branded them as their own. That does happen a decent amount in in the U.S., at least in leagues where teams are less established. Phoenix Rising, as an example, on the men's side in, in USL Championship, did that exact thing like a couple of years ago. They just took a Scottsdale team and, and slapped Phoenix Rising branding on it and called it their own and said, job done. And it's not really job done, right? Because you're not investing in it in the same way. You're not developing players in the same way. All of that stuff. It's also happening that some of these NWSL teams just recruit really well from their area. So once there's a pro-level player, they'll go out and they have relationships with youth clubs around them. So they don't have their own academy, but they have good relationships with the clubs that are in their area. And they say, hey, like we're the professional team here. This is the best next step for you as a player. And it's good publicity and, and rec for the youth soccer club itself. So San Diego Wave just did this with Melanie Barcenas, who's just 15 years old. She wasn't developed by the Wave. And she wasn't developed in an NWSL academy. She was developed by San Diego Surf, which is a really well-regarded academy in San Diego. And then she signed with the Wave and made her debut a couple months ago or last month or whatever it was. So there are some alignments, there are some partnerships, and it seems like some teams are actually operating their own academy setup. But there really isn't a lot of uniformity here across the NWSL and its teams. So I've got more to say, but I've been talking for an hour and a half at this point, and uh, I want somebody else to go. (laughs) <laughs> uh, Joe, my my sort of like assumption, and I'm definitely not an expert on any of this, is that college soccer for the longest time was just sort of the path because it's been the path in most American sports, similar to college football or the NBA. But as those sports have had increasing, like college football is still obviously a huge deal, but you don't get as many people playing all four years or five years. You're getting a few years and then they go uh, on to the professional game, the NBA even less so. I feel like that's what we're going to start getting or already have started getting with yeah. women's college soccer is you get players leaving Bunny Shaw, leaving after I think her sophomore year uh, from Tennessee to go play in France. I think we'll start getting more of that as there become more there becomes more money in the game. Yep. I think for so long you didn't have money, so it was basically college soccer is an opportunity to continue to play soccer, get four years education, and then you go get a job. Now that I think it's becoming slightly more viable to be a professional athlete, I think you're seeing players sort of look at that that sort of uh, process and reevaluate. And I think we're going to start getting more and more people moving to Europe because there will be opportunities there. And I think that's when the structure will have to change in yeah. the United States because at that point, you're no longer keeping up. You're falling behind. And so once that occurs, I think we'll see more serious investment in women's academies. It seems to me like right now you have some that are about developing players to move to the professional game. And a lot, I think, are about having a bunch of uh, like young girls playing soccer because you want as many people playing soccer as possible, but also because youth soccer is a moneymaker. And I yep. think a lot of these are avenues for making income that you can then use to support the, the senior club. And I think that will be something that probably changes in the long yeah. term. Yeah, Taylor, I agree with everything you just said. I think that was that was really well said. It reminds me, you're talking about some of the financial uh, opportunities, I guess, that youth soccer creates, or at least the fact that some of these clubs in the past and, and still today 
they're not rolling in dough. Like they're they're trying to survive. Although it seems to me that a lot of these clubs are better positioned to survive and to become established, sustainable entities now than they've probably ever been. But I was listening to a podcast, the Equalizer podcast, which is a really good women's soccer podcast in the United States. Um, and Jeff Kasuf, who does a great job for ESPN and the Equalizer, was talking about he shared an anecdote about, I guess, a Washington Spirit owner in the past had said something along the lines of they, they'd had an academy, the Spirit, and they decided to close it because it was causing friction with the other academies that had been there longer in the, the D.C. kind of area. And those were tickets that were being flushed down the drain, right? Because youth soccer clubs around these areas want to take their kids to games, and that can be a, a part of playing a youth soccer season is going to a Spirit game. And if you tick off an academy director, they're not going to take your kids to your games. And that's maybe 50 tickets that you could have sold. So, right, that, I think that helps illustrate some of the financial challenges that NWSL teams have dealt with and how that, even in a, a weird kind of indirect way, can impact that space. The, the only other thing I want to add here, because I know I've talked about this a lot, and Taylor, I appreciate you sharing your research there, is we're going to see the landscape start to change, and we've already seen it start to change a little bit. I mentioned Melanie Barcenas. Because the NWSL is starting to change their rules. So in the past, the NWSL didn't allow players under the age of 18 to sign with teams, which is not a super normal soccer rule. So in 2021, Olivia Moultrie, who's become kind of a household name across the NWSL and, and U.S. soccer circles at this point, she took the NWSL to court because she was 15 and wanted to play professional soccer and was good enough to do so. And she won. So she was allowed to play for the Thorns. Basically, a somewhat similar thing happened in 2022. I don't think there was a court involved, but Jaden Shaw, who's becoming a, a, an incredible professional player for the Wave, she was 17 and wanted to go pro, and the NWSL kind of said, all right, fine, we'll let you in through a back door. But they still didn't change the rule. And so eventually, the NWSL turned off their age limit and replaced it with something called the under-18 entry mechanism. We can't do things simply here, can we, guys? We, we can't make hmm. it easy. Uh, and basically, that allows, with some protections... Like minors can't be traded, they can't be waived, all that stuff, which is good. I think that's the right thing to do. Teams only get two of those players. So teams can have two U18 players, as far as I understand it. And that's a change from before because we just weren't seeing teenagers in the NWSL in the same way. So things are changing. They're changing slowly. Clubs are still not fully established, but we are seeing, I think, Daniel, some progress in this landscape. And hopefully at least that gets to some of your questions. Does the NWSL have a, a homegrown rule? Because in, no. in my in my so the, the answer is still no. Because I found an article from 2021 that kind of stated the intention yeah. to introduce one, like MLS has. I then couldn't find anything that said one had been actually introduced. So if there isn't a, a homegrown player rule as part of the roster rules and in, in the league, then again, that's maybe another reason why. NWSL clubs are more willing to kind of pass off the pathway and the and youth development side to other other yeah. organizations. Yeah, I mean, the homegrown rule has its advantages, certainly. Like, you get roster benefits to that. You get salary benefits for signing homegrown players, at least in, in a lot of situations, as far as I understand it, in Major League Soccer. There are also challenges, though, right, in terms of MLS having geographical restrictions on where players could go and limiting player movement. Like, there, there's so much complexity in in the world of youth soccer i mean outside of the u.s as well like you know leagues around the world have kind of weird and convoluted youth player rules you see that in the premier league you see this kind of everywhere the nwsl is in a position where yeah they're a little bit behind where some of the rest of the world is and they're certainly behind where the men's game is for for some understandable reasons they have a chance to kind of find a path that makes sense and and really fall in that direction sooner rather than later i don't know if that's going to happen but it is a fascinating landscape, and the youth movement in the NWSL is is real. Like, over the first eight years of the NWSL, 
only five teenagers had minutes in official games. And there have already been more than that in this year alone in 2023. So it's, it is progressing. It's just going to be interesting to see how that continues to happen over the next five, 10 years. Yeah, another thing worth bearing in mind is I remember even 10 years ago in MLS writing and talking about the kind of youth landscape in MLS and being behind the times in Europe. And then there was the introduced uh, Generation Adidas, I think, in 2002. And we've had recently MLS Next Pro. And I think this year, some, some other youth soccer program linked to MLS. So there's been a drive to bring a lot of youth development in the US under the MLS umbrella. And academies, I found a, I found a number that said about $4 million a year is what you would need to commit to a youth academy if you're an NWSL team. That seems like a lot of money to me. A lot of these clubs I was reading as well are still kind of um, recovering from COVID. I think a lot of those clubs were hit harder by COVID than MLS clubs. MLS obviously had the a, a greater cash reserve through the centralization of the league i don't think nwsl had that so maybe that's just something that NW, the nwsl needs to get to in time and uh, yeah it's kind of just behind mls in that in that trajectory thank you very much daniel for the question there we're going to take a quick break when we come back a few more stick with us Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our listener questions. We go to one from Owen Goal. Owen Goal, yeah. Is that Voot Fass? Is that his alter ego? <laughs> hey Nice, Graham. I think we found it. Nice ID, like it. nice ID. Good Graham. one from Gaza. Liked it. <laughs> <laughs> Though I'm not a Man City fan, I've loved your recent discussions around their amazing campaign. I also love how the TSS team can clearly describe and articulate strategy. So my question is this. How does Pep's newfangled 3-box-3 three three format differ from the very old, very British WM formation of nearly a century ago? And does this mean Hungary's poised to be a soccer powerhouse again in about five years' time? Joe, this feels like a Joe question, and it also feels like a question for anybody who has read Inverting the Pyramid. Yeah, so I won't lie. I still haven't made it through the whole book of Inverting the Pyramid, and I don't know that I'm going to get back to it. But nope. shape-wise, I think Pep's 3-box-3, three three, which... To, to quickly lay that out, it's a back three in possession with two defensive midfielders in front of the back three, two attacking midfielders in front of the defensive midfielders, and then a front three, right? That's that's what the shape is. The midfielders just kind of form a, a rectangle, a little box, square, whatever, some sort of quadrilateral in, in midfield. It's not new. Like, that, that shape isn't new as, as OG describes in the question. <laughs> Teams have been using that shape throughout the last decade, really. Even if they're playing at a back four, they'll drop a number six in between the center backs and you kind of end up in the same thing. And, and really, back... 100 years or so now maybe not quite but that's that's the idea like this wn formation wm because you you put the letters on top of each other and the points of each letters make the three two two three shape that's why it's called that like people have been doing that for a long time so there are still some differences though i think in how man city and other modern teams use that shape compared to what was used before even if it's the same rough positional outline the, the wm way back in the 20th century the early 20th century was popularized to help deal with the two, three, five shape, which was the pyramid shape that, uh, or was that the inverted pyramid? See, again, I didn't read the whole book, so I don't, I'm not sure, but basically it was, it was popularized to deal with the third attacker that's in the middle of that front line. And so teams just added an extra defender into their back line and you end up with the WM and, and suddenly you're a little bit more at status quo in the back and, and all that stuff. My understanding, and I haven't watched a ton of soccer from the early 1900s is though that shapes are more fluid and dynamic now than they were back then, right? Like there's more diversity in style Players are, are maybe able to do a little bit more, like strikers, for example, can drop in the midfield or they can push in behind the back line. We've seen City use strikers that do both of those things over the last few years rather than just being a, a traditional big man, right? So we see a little bit more versatility and variety in how teams play. They're more organized. They have better game plans, very defensive shapes, all that stuff. So yeah, the bones are the same. Like I like to say soccer is cyclical. It's hard to find something that's new, at least at a macro level. All this stuff has been done for the most part. It's just the little tweaks and iterations within some of these shapes and, and tactics that I think are are new or at least certainly improved. Mm. I like to think Pet found some come some kind of like tesseract and it unlocked like Hungarian power from the 1950s <laughs> for him. I think that the pyramid, the two three five, is the pyramid, and the idea is it was inverted because instead of having five attackers, it was weighted. The triangle base moved to the other side of the field and it was more defenders. Right, that's the inversion. I like it. That sounds yeah. right to me. Sounds I good. I think that's right. And that's the difference, right? That's essentially my notes, is that is the difference between kind of what we have in the modern age and what Herbert Chapman used at yeah. Arsenal in the theories. Yeah, there we go. Taylor, anything to add to our lovely uh, tactical discussion here? It differs on the defensive side, right, too? That, like, Pep, I think, is basically just using a 4-4-2, whereas from my understanding, right. the formations of the past were just a bit more, like, fixed in that shape. Yeah, yeah. The, and I, I try to get at that. I just touched on it very quickly. Like the very defensive shapes. We see so much more fluidity. You know, you could attack in one shape and defend in another. I haven't been grinding 1930s footage, but I don't imagine that was happening a lot 100 years ago. Yeah. There you go. I do think it's, 
I do think it's it's pretty interesting <laughs> yeah, that get on Pep, it, <laughs> Pep does seem to be a student of yeah. Pep did his homework. Joe could do the same. It does seem like Pep is very much a student of the history of the game, and it it sounds to me like a large amount of his sort of adjustment to these tactics is because of the low blocks that City often play against, and the idea of getting as many numbers into the attack as possible, and looking at how teams did that when the offside rule changed in 1925, and then sort of adjusting that for the modern times i think is a is a pretty interesting approach i'm sure jonathan wilson enjoyed it but also wanted some royalties for it there you go uh, inverting the pyramid has a new edition by the way updated a 15th anniversary mm. edition i believe if you should be inclined to find it uh owen goal thank you very much for that question we go to bendover once again, guys, you can use your government name when you write to us. <laughs> I recently purchased a home and want to put up some posters in my garage. What are some great or iconic photos that I could put up as posters? What I currently have in mind is the photo of Pirlo, Ronaldinho and Beckham preparing for a free kick at Milan. Also, says Ben, Bluey greater than Peppa Pig. Don't have an opinion on that, but I'm grateful both my children are growing out of both of those shows. Stupid daddy point. peg, honestly. <laughs> Dumber than Big Dumb Kyle Walker. Um, I, I had in my notes, but since Graham has already done the Big Dumb Kyle Walker one, uh, since Ryan has a nickname, we can all agree that Graham should be Graham Daddy Pig Ruffin from now on, right? Oh, that's, no. That's not creepy or weird. <laughs> no, that's so creepy. Daddy Pig Ruffin. Uh, he's so incompetent. There's a scene in Peppa Pig where Daddy Pig is hanging a picture on the wall and the whole wall falls down, right? Do you know what his job is meant to be in Peppa Pig? He's meant to be a structural engineer. That, that, that's how, what happens when he hangs a picture. I like to think I'm not that incompetent. I like to think that Graham pretends as though he doesn't have any sort of like interest in this, where he has clearly watched hours and hours of Peppa Pig. So, like that's the only way you can develop this level of visceral hatred towards a cartoon character. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's absolutely true. My daughter wasn't even in the room. <laughs> uh, okay, Brett, Graham, take, take a breath for a second, and let's see if we can approach Ben's question here. I was thinking maybe like the Maradona versus Belgium picture yeah. where he's got the defenders lined up in him where it was like a free kick and they were all dispersing, but it looks like he's taking on the entire team. And there's another one, an, a Milan one. The Is it Nesta? And who's who's leaning and then looking at the, at the Champions oh, is League? Is it Matarazzi? Yeah, the, the Milan derby one, right? With that's the flares good. you're talking mm -hmm. about. Yeah, yeah. Yep, that's a good one. I mean, obviously, top of everyone's list should be the poster for the TSS World Cup live show. Uh -huh, um, uh -huh. But if we're, if we're looking past that, yeah, the Maradona image from the 1982 World Cup. Um, the Robin Van Persie header at the 2014 World Cup, one of my favorite goals of all time. I think an opinion that Joe shares. Yep. Uh, that would be a good image to have as a poster. Uh, Gaza, um, not the first mention of that nickname, Ew. but the real Gaza, getting the dentist chair treatment after scoring uh, Euro 96. That would be another good one. I I'm actually planning on putting some stuff on my office walls next year, and I'm probably going to go down the... Um, like the illustration route, and this is where I have to give a, a shout out to my friend Matthew Shipley, who actually did the TSS live show poster. He's got loads of cool posters on his on his Etsy shop. Have a wee look there if you just Google Etsy Shipley illustration. There's cool stuff there with like Kevin De Bruyne and Messi and Roberto Firmino, and I mean, there's there's hundreds of different um, illustrations and posters there. So that would be a recommendation of mine. But yes, yeah, some of the Iconic images, Maradona, RVP, Gaza. That's a good place to start. Very nice. Taylor, where'd you land? Uh, Johan Cruyff smoking is my number one poster <laughs> that I would get made. It's one that I still want to get made. If people haven't seen it, uh, just Google Cruyff locker room smoking. It, it, is, it looks like he could be the front man for a 70s rock band, uh, but it's him, I think, at halftime 
smoking a cigarette as one does, but it's one of my, my favorite images from the soccer world. And then one that I sent you all uh, is a graphic that I think is pretty great that like would be, I think you'd have to blow it up pretty big, but it's basically a graphic. It's a, it's a, the field itself, and then you've got all of the, the famous plays in soccer history or many of the famous plays in soccer history diagrammed out uh, so you can see the Maradona run uh, against England. I think the Maradona run against Belgium is also in there, uh, but lots of different illustrations of famous moments that I think is, is pretty terrific. Uh, so th- that's another one that I'm a big fan of. All right, Joe, any to add here? Yeah, so the the first one, I don't know why this is where my mind went. I, I actually I do know why, but it's it's a picture of Jose Mourinho, uh, and it is the first thing I think of when I think of Jose Mourinho. It's him coaching Manchester United back in 2017. He's walking off the field. It's a, you know he's serious look on his face, except the field is the LA Galaxy's field, and it's a friendly, and he's walking right by Cosmo, the Galaxy mascot, <laughs> who is propping yep. up a sign yes. on an easel that says it's called soccer. <laughs> yeah, and what yeah. might be the worst cutout letters you've ever seen in your life in terms of like skill um i don't know why but i love this picture so much it's so funny to me so if you want a lighthearted garage uh ben surely um then this is this is the one for you i also have uh messi holding up the world cup trophy when he's on aguero's shoulders because sergio aguero is just so funny in that moment and it's good that messi won something i like that and then alex morgan sipping tea after scoring against england in the world cup in 2019 that's very high on my list as well is, is Sergio Aguero just part of Lionel Messi's like entourage now? Because yeah. he gave an interview last week where he said he's moving to Miami. <laughs> he, he's his turtle. Uh, All oh, right, his entourage sure. reference. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Graham, did you want to share the one that you just sent the group? Uh, yes, what? Gra- I, I don't know what you're talking about. There's a very famous image of Pele and Bobby Moore. Good. It's, uh, when they're swapping shirts. It's when they're swapping shirts. Not the one that Graham has put on our uh, group. Not uh, even an NSFW tag on that one from Graham Ruthven as it came through. My goodness. Yeah. My goodness. Uh, like, uh, thank you, Ben Dover, for that one. Uh, let's go to the final question indeed. Ben Sundstrom has the final question of listener questions. Can you all compare the winners of each top five league to movies you don't think Joe Lowry has seen and have Joe guess which each club is from each movie described. So we've got a little game here to finish off. So what we're going to do, we're going to go around the horn and describe a movie. Joe has to tell us which team we are referring to. Okay. Ooh, that was a real finger click there. Yeah, that, was, that was me cracking my fingers. Like you see someone crack their fingers when they're getting ready for something. That's what I just did. I'll jump in first if you don't mind, Joe. Um, I'm going to give you the movie Casino which was made in 1996 by Martin Scorsese. Oh, boy. Uh, So it's set in a Vegas casino where people gamble with their futures, where everyone has complicated relationships with one another. And when there are are also one-armed bandit machines where people pull levers quite a lot of the time, Joe. (laughs) Wow, you really just, like, walked me right up to the T-ball, little T. You put the bat in my hand and you just swung for me. Um, That would be FC Barcelona, the champions of La Liga. Very good, Ryan. that's, That's very clever. I like it. Thank you very much. Taylor, your first uh, movie. Uh, Yes, as the mower outside starts up. Since you went casino, I'll go with Goodfellas. Uh, Joe, I'm assuming you haven't seen that one. Goodfellas is focused on the decline of a once-strong organization where the primary protagonist survives more so than wins at the end, features a lot of infighting in the squad, wants powerful members moving on to other things, and a chaotic madman who is not a clown, even if he may resemble one. That's uh, so. I'm a little troubled that that could potentially describe multiple clubs on this mm-hmm. list of my five the choices. Survives more than wins at the end is the thing that I was kind of trying to drive home there. A team that maybe won but didn't quite like 
show that they deserved it throughout the season. So I've got PSG as the answer to that question. Uh, I don't know if that's where you're going. I, it seems like you could also be describing Barcelona, but I feel like that fits PSG. I was going really to Bayern. Well. Oh, Bayern. I thought we were Bayern. Yeah. Oh, I was going Bayern Munich. Oh, very nice. Okay. Yep, that makes sense. Okay. And Thomas like Thomas Muller would be the chaotic, chaotic madman versus uh, Tommy DeVito, I think. No, that's Danny DeVito. Tommy, I forget his name in that one. I like it. Joe Pesci's Just Tommy. Um, yeah. Graham. So, Top Gun Maverick, a oh sequel boy. to something that happened in the late 80s yep. that you didn't yep. realize how much you wanted. This is so good. Until <laughs> you didn't realize how much you wanted it until it actually happened. Also, just a lot of fun to watch, but maybe didn't win the prizes that it should have. Oh, Graham, well done. That's Napoli. That was very, very good. Ding, I like ding, that ding, a ding, lot. Ding, you guys are go. really good at this. You guys are on, really, on, really good at this. On that note, because Graham, that was perfect. I went a very similar direction. Mad Max Fury Road, award-winning film that connects back to a successful franchise of the 1980s, helmed by a veteran director with some star performers doing the bulk of the work, but notable side characters chipping in with useful additions along the way, will almost certainly be replaced by big-budget blockbusters that buy their way to their usual place at the top nice. of the charts. There you go. That's so uh, good. I'll give you my Napoli as well while we're here. Uh, the Mighty Ducks, a team of misfits who don't win anything in forever, then a coach comes in and transforms them into title winners. Also, the coach likes ducks. <laughs> <laughs> Spalletti, of course, famously has a pet duck. Oh, wow. Oh, it's beautiful. Uh, okay, uh, my next one for you, Joe. The Big Short, the Adam McKay movie of the 2000s, about the, the financial collapse of 2008. It's about a group of people who are already very rich, but who gain the system and come out on top despite some controversial routes to establishing their wealth and their power. Uh, okay, run through the key points of that one more time. Group of people who are already very rich, but they game the system controversially. Oh, all right, thank top, you. Though. Sorry, my brain was moving real slow. Man City, thank you for emphasizing the words that needed to be <laughs> emphasized in that one. It's got to be Man City. Well done. Bingo. Uh, Taylor, Taylor. Uh, can I do two in a row for you? Please do. Joe, have you seen Fast Five? No, I haven't seen Fast Yeah, boy, I had Who's a got feeling? time to watch 87 Fast and Furious movies? Uh, well, there's going to be two of them on here, my friend. <laughs> uh, Fast Five, a group of individuals, all the best at what they do, are brought together from all over the world to pull off the crowning achievement of their careers. Nice. As a nice. unit, they function as a perfect collective and are maybe superheroes as individuals. They are also more or less perfect and are also maybe superheroes. Yeah, that's good. That's Man City as well. I like it a lot, too. There we go. Uh, Fast 6, not as good as the previous iterations, bloated cast of very, very well-compensated stars nice. who have it in their contracts that they are not allowed to lose. No one seems to be trying all that hard, but they still emerge victorious because that's just how it works. Uh, it's, that one's PSG. That one's PSG for sure. Well, <laughs> well done. They, I believe Vin Diesel does have that in his contract, that he there can't lose a fist fight. Graham, what you got? I'll do two in a row as well. So um, my first one, any Marvel film, essentially. So there's a number of them. I seen them, though. The, this is the problem. I, I have seen those, but I haven't seen all of them, so you could, I think you'd probably get to go Yeah, there. surely he's not seen all of them. Anyway, that's not really the point of this. Visually spectacular, dominant at the box office, but difficult to love and boring after a while. I might have edit editorialized the last <laughs> bit a little bit. <laughs> is that Man City, Graham? Because I know you get that bored of watching Pep Guardiola. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that is Man City. And then um, second one, the Robert Pattinson Batman. The Batman, I believe that's called. Better than recent e recent efforts and somewhat re somewhat reminiscent of the best Batman films, but still not as good. Uh, is that Barcelona, Graham? That is Barcelona. Joe, you're good Beautiful. at this game. I'll give you Beautiful. my last well, two as well. Then. It's not just to be clear. I I am good at this game, but only because there's only five options, and you guys are doing <laughs> a really good job. All right, uh, to round it off, then I've I'm going to give you 
because now I've seen all of the Star Wars. I've seen all nine, by the way. We should talk about that at some point. Uh, I'm going to give you uh, Return of the Jedi or The Force Awakens. Either applies because they oh. are movies where they keep rebuilding the Death Star. No matter how many times the Rebels think they've defeated the Death Star, it just keeps rising and winning again, Joe. Uh Again, I feel like that describes most super teams around Europe. Is that PSG for you, Ryan? Oh, it was Bayern, Bayern. Munich, yeah. who are literally described as the Death Star in Germany. Oh, so I had, I had, a, a no, I was annoyed that I know that Joe has seen The Force Awakens because for me, when you look at the kind of building blocks of The Force Awakens, uh, it's a, a group of youngsters coming together with uh, a group of sort of veterans. Uh, it's features a cash-strapped alliance. Uh, it harkens back to a happier era, but you're also uncertain about what the future is going to look like. Nice. That one felt pretty dead on uh, for a certain club that won a, a league this season. Gotta be Barcelona. But since, Gotta be. Since yeah. Joe has seen that one, you are correct. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like I'm just going car heist movies, but instead I'm going to go Gone in 60 Seconds, which is... Uh, a group of talented individuals are brought together due to one person's financial mismanagement, uh, and then they all have to work towards the collective good, which they do achieve. But along the way, uh, they commit some maybe financial penalties that could get them in trouble. Is that Barcelona go. as well, then, Taylor? Yes, it is. Yes, yes it is. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, Graham, have you done all yours? Uh, Joe, have you seen any of the Transformers films? Uh, bits and pieces, yeah. Okay, so you haven't seen the most recent one. I also no. haven't seen it. I saw a trailer for it recently. I think it's called like Rise of the Beasts or something. So let's go with that one. Uh, Transformers, Rise of the Beasts. Um, as, as I say, I saw that trailer last week in the cinema. It looks terrible. There's no structure to it whatsoever. The performances are really bad. Everyone's just phoning it in, but somehow they'll still win and take about $1 billion at the box office. <laughs> <laughs> that's PSG, surely. That is PSG. Are, are the Transformers outfitted in Jordan brand apparel throughout that film? Because if so, that would really tie it together. That feels very Michael Bay, so yes, possibly. Sweet. All right. it, that feels like it could actually happen. Like, yes. <laughs> I feel like Brandon could be part of the Transformers, yeah. There we go. I think we're just about out of time. Thank you very much uh, for the questions in this one. Thank you, Ben, for that particular question. Taylor Rockwell, a pleasure as always, sir. Thank you for your time in this here podcast. Thank you, uh, Baza Raza Maza. Booza, thank you very much. Booza, thank uh, you. What did we say? Uh, Big Daddy Pepper Graham. Thank you very much. Oh no, Big Daddy, Daddy Pig Ruffin. I really hope that doesn't <laughs> stick. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. I guess. And Joe Lowry, thank you very much for your contributions here, my good sir. Enjoy your trip to Las Vegas to watch some Americans <gasps> play the soccer. Vegas, baby. Thanks, guys. Thank you. All right, listener. Thank you most of all for joining us on this one. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye. <laughs> Slash it.